Yeah, I should bring that up. That I, I think Terry Jones referred to you as you're Mr. Teflon right up until the day you decided to sell the trappers uh, out of town. <laughs> you yeah, took, yeah, no, you he took didn't some like grief. it. He didn't like it. Hugh Campbell didn't like it. Hugh loved going down there. But here's the facts. Yeah. Hey everyone, it's Rob Lullisher and welcome to the Egg Me Podcast. It's our chance to sit down with a bunch of different Edmontonians and learn about what's going on in their world and some of their egg-centric stories. Thanks for joining us and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Hey everyone, it's Rob Lullisher and welcome to the Egg Me Podcast. Pretty excited about the guest we have today and I should start by saying usually I'm the youngest and best looking Lullisher on the podcast, but uh Today's podcast, I'm only going to be one of those things. I'm very happy to have my dad, Rick Lullisher, join me on the Yegmi podcast. Dad, how you doing? Good. Glad to be here. I'll, uh, well, I forced you into it. I made you come and uh, appreciate it because I'm really excited, you know, even from a personal front that uh, just as a way to capture, you know, little stories that uh, uh, we may forget down the road and, and a fun way to... You know, talk about you've been involved with a lot of significant Edmonton things over the years. We're we're going to talk a little bit about hockey and football and economic development and uh, all kinds of fun stuff. See see what comes up. You ready? Ready to do that? Ready to go. Okay, I'll call you Rick for the podcast. So, I, but I'll I'll sneak in a dad there uh, every once in a while. So uh, and and we'll jump to the end. We'll we'll kind of we'll we'll touch lightly on the part that why Edmonton's disowning you as a <laughs> as one of its sons, but uh, we'll we'll get to that in in a minute. But uh, let let's go way back for a second. You know the the family's been in Edmonton for for a very long time. So uh, your grandfather, my great grandfather Silas Lullisher, tell tell me about him coming to Edmonton and just you know why why he chose Edmonton. I think to get out of Prince Edward Island, I'm, not, I'm really not sure, but he left PEI in uh, two, 1916 okay. and uh, ventured out here and uh, he didn't have a job, didn't have any much money and um, when he got here there was a job opening at Western Transfer and uh, at that point in time it was uh, drays and horses and so he took a job there and started and continued with it. So the uh, 1916. What did what did Edmonton look like at that time? Like where was Western located? Was it was it downtown here? Yeah, it was a, it was downtown, and a, a, originally the stables were part of the old uh, Revlon building that's still there today. And uh, as I understand, it, that's where they kept the horses and the drays were out back, and um, they'd go over to the CP and the CN uh, rail lines to collect. Uh, right on uh, 104th Ave there. 4th Avenue, and CP was on 109th Street. Okay. Uh, okay. That came across the high-level bridge at the time. So, uh, yeah, they'd pick up goods there to deliver, and they'd be off and deliver, the, deliver them to the stores. It was kind of funny, you, you know, 100 years later, I end up working at the Edmonton Journal for, for a number of years, and, and then remembering photos from 100 years ago, Western Moving having the, the horse... And, and carriage with, with, the, with the tons of newspaper rolls on the back. They used to deliver all the, the journal's paper uh, back then. Well, they did that for a lot of years. Uh, actually, it, it continued at the journal downtown uh, until they built the new uh, 
uh, printing presses out on the southeast. The um, was maybe I can't even remember. It was into the seventies for sure, maybe the eighties. And it's a pretty long run. Yeah, we had to use very short trucks that could only haul three rolls at a time because they could um, they could only maneuver in the lane on a hundred and first street of the journal building there to get into the elevator to make sure the rolls went one, down. One roll at a time. You got it. Awesome. So Silas had uh, uh, Western moving. It's 1916. He worked there for a number of years. Now, so b- between him and and your dad, Jim, my grandpa, Jim, what what was the transition? Whoops. The transition of ownership from, from, uh, from the two. Well, and, uh, I'm not sure of the years, but uh, eventually uh, my grandpa, Cy, uh, continued to work at Western Transfer. Then he ended up buying it uh, for how much, or, uh, I have no idea. I don't think anybody did. Um, and anyways, at, at some point, uh, my dad came along and started working there just before the Second World War. And he bought a little piece of it, like uh, I think around 10 15%. And then he went off to the war and became a, a, a police officer in the he was an MP. In, yep. in military police in, in the Air Force and yep. was, was uh, located over in London, England. Uh, so Grandpa kept running the business and uh, at some point while Dad was over in England, um, Grandpa decided that there was going to be another recession like after the First World War. Okay. And he thought it would be best interest to sell the company. So he did, in, including my dad's 10%. So when, when dad got back, the hey, company had been where's sold. where's my company? <laughs> yeah, the company had been sold no, uh, no longer. So he, uh, he knew the business, and, and he went to see the new owners, and they put him to work. So he started working when he came back from the war at yeah. uh, Western. And then... Uh, I think there was five different owners between the time Grandpa sold it and then uh, Dad bought it back in uh, 1962. Okay. Of uh, the the uh, uh, McCaig family out of uh, Winnipeg at that time owned it, and they they owned Manitoba Cartage and then Western Cartage, and uh, so they were quite comfortable to put it back in the Lowisher family's hands and sold it to Dad. So the, the roots of the moving business, Western Moving, back to you know, 100 years ago. Today, your brother, Ted, his son, Sean, Carol, they, they own and run the business. Still in the moving game. Still putzing along. Still there. Yeah. 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 Just I, I kind of feel like uh, Grandpa Jim did. You, know, you, you sold the company before I, could, before I could get involved. You just had me do all the, the sweat labor of being a swamper on the trucks for all those years. That's so you'd learn. And you know what, I, I do appreciate that that learning. I, I think I was about 14 years old and you stuck me in the warehouse um, to, to help them with, with the storage side. And then as soon as I could go out on the trucks, I, I was uh, I was hawking furniture every, every summer for as long as I can remember. Okay, away from moving for a second. Um, you know, growing up in Edmonton, what, uh, you ended up at, you're a Ross Shep, right? Correct. Now, Put you on the spot. Did you graduate from Rush Up? I did. You did. I did. With you... a grade twelve graduation. I, I <laughs> in my first year of grade twelve, the counselor called me in and said, "You've got to make a decision, school or hockey." And at the time, I was playing for the Oil Kings, so I said hockey, of course, and went home and 
told my mom and dad what I decision <laughs> I'd made. And dad said, that's fine. Show up for work tomorrow morning in the freight sheds. And it was in the cold of winter. And, and if it was 20 below outside, it was about 40 below inside. So I unloaded boxcars and then would go to practice with the Oil Kings. And uh, I was fortunate, uh, a neighbor down the street by the name of Bill Rollins was a uh, teacher at, at uh, Rochep and he'd started a business course in Rochep. So uh, he convinced me to come back the following year and I did and uh, that was just great. It gave me a, a business background but it also gave me things to, that I use to this day uh, like uh, typing skills and adding machine skills, all of okay. that, uh, I've used right through my career. And uh, so, so all your typing came from, we'll call it your your grade twelve upgrade. That's right, my uh, second year grade twelve. Second year grade twelve. Uh, playing for the Oil Kings at that time. Uh, tell us a little bit about your junior hockey career in Edmonton. What would that look like? Well, I played two years in the the uh, for the Canadian Athletic Club in, in the Alberta Junior League, and and then went up to the Oil Kings for two years. And you snagged uh, a little award in the AJHL, did you not? Yeah, Rookie of the Year, first first rookie. one, Rookie of the Year. And rookie of the Year, very I cool. I don't even know what year it was. Blast ahead, whatever it was thirty years. One of my very good friends and a teammate that we grew up together, Terry Degner. I think we were teammates for six years before we played against each other, but he won Rookie of the Year too. So that's right. I remember yep. that I photo remember. of the two of you uh, posing with that. Very cool. So your Rookie of the Year, the movers, and and then did you have to progress, or was it an option for you, a choice that you made between going from the movers to the Oil Kings? Well, in those years, it was before the draft, so okay. that's how many years ago it was. Yeah. The uh, so so and, this is sixty six, sixty seven, yeah. and and. and and there was six NHL teams, of which one was Detroit, and they'd always had a uh, real closeness in Edmonton. Uh, their, one of their chief scouts, Clarence Moore, lived here. So they were very attached to the Oil Kings, and uh, I really just, I guess, progressed up to the Oil Kings. And uh, when I went to the Oil Kings, and uh, Detroit put me on their 50-man uh, uh, roster, uh, that yeah. you were allowed to, and, okay. and from that point in time, I was. Which was uh, con was that considered like the draft at that? I guess point? so. Yeah, so yeah. You you were on their list. You couldn't go anywhere else unless they traded you. So. I see. Okay. And then I uh, signed at the time what's called a C form. The, a C form. Uh, yeah, that that was okay. the contract with Detroit. I got thousand dollars. That's to that's sign. big money back pretty, then. Pretty good. That's yeah. really big money. Yeah. So I played two years with the Oil Kings under. Uh, Bill Gadsby was the coach one year until Bill Hunter fired him, and Bill became the coach. And then, uh, funny thing about when when uh, Gads got fired, we were in the first game of the playoffs. We were in Saskatoon in in the old arena, not yep. where you played, and and uh, we were uh, out for the warm up. And the PA announcer comes on and says. Uh, there's been a change in the Oil King lineup tonight. Coaching is Bill Hunter because he's just fired Bill Gadsby. Verbatim. <laughs> uh, we had not heard it. Uh, that's how we heard it. <laughs> You're taking warm up. Uh, so we played the game and we lost. But go back to the hotel and Wes Montgomery at the time was doing the play-by-play -play for Chet. And uh, he refused to do the game that night, so we got out of, back. Out of protest, he, yeah. he was upset about he the, was upset about the coach being team. fired. Okay. And we uh, we got back to the hotel, and Gads and, and Wes had been drinking ever since they uh, got back to the hotel. I think because <laughs> uh, they were right into it. 
The uh, having Bill Hunter as a coach, you know, one of one of Edmonton's most famous hockey men. Uh, share with us a couple of memories you have, you have of, of Bill. He he was a great guy. He, he was a real gentleman, and but he uh, he tried to be really gruff, and but uh, boy, he'd do anything for you. And uh, uh, he had all kinds of sayings. Of uh, you, uh, to this day, I still use some of them. Uh, one of my favorites is if if you steal one idea, that's theft. If you steal two ideas, that's research. <laughs> and uh, he was a great hockey man. Uh, he was great for this city and, and getting things started. It, it was Bill that really brought the NHL to and the Oilers to Edmonton, and um, he had the support of others, but he was the driving force. And uh, we had a lot of good times at the Oil Kings. And um, my last year, we played Flin Flon in the uh, uh, Western Canada Playdowns, and the, uh, they had Reggie Leach and Bobby Clark on their team. and. Um, one of the greatest things was flying up there. We drove bus to Saskatoon, then we took a DC-3 from Saskatoon to Flin Flon, and uh, somewhere when we were up, the back door came open. So the, the Mid, Mid-flight. The, so the uh, co-pilot comes back and uh, just holds onto a bar, reaches out. It wasn't fully open. It was open by maybe six inches. Um, held on, grabbed it, closed the door, locked it again, then got a rope tied it to the door and tied it to the back of my seat. Hey buddy, you don't want And so, uh, yeah, I went through the last part of that flight wondering if I was going to make it Flin Flon, but uh, that was an incredible place to play. Of, uh, Pretty a spirited uh, hockey uh, arena. Oh, <laughs> you, you could hear their chant in their locker room uh, from all over and and the fans there were incredible. A uh, uh, few times we had to uh, get taken back to the hotel by the RCMP, and it was yeah, it was quite a quite an existence <laughs> of a great fan base up there. Now, memory serves uh, was was it Reggie Leach or Bobby Clark who who knocked you out with a with a stick or, or something? No, it was one of their defensemen. Oh, of, okay. Uh, okay. I'm trying to think of his name. I can't even remember his name. He <laughs> he cracked me over the head, and I. Uh, Probably got, a, got yeah. a two minute minor for that back in the day. Yeah. I, yeah, I, if he got a penalty at all. <laughs> and uh, I came to and got up, and there was uh, two McAneely brothers on our team fighting their whole team. So had to get in there and help them. <laughs> now, the, the McAneelys were some spirited twins, uh, teammates that you had. Uh, any, any other teammates pop into mind when you think back to those Oil King days? Oh, he's some great. Uh, Ian Wilkie was the uh, goaltender, and uh, Al Cameron uh, was a center that him and I played with uh, through midget and juvenile and uh, into the Alberta Junior League and then to the Oil Kings. So, uh, yeah, a lot of great uh, players. All, all of those players were before the draft, of course. So, okay. Um, okay. Then once I finished playing and went to Detroit every summer for a few years and then training camp, I decided to come back and, and learn the business and um, so started learning the business and then the next year the World Hockey League came along so yeah. all some of these guys all signed for pretty big money but you, you oh, just missed it just missed it by a did, year did you ever think to go back no no oh, I good. just thought I've, I've made a decision I'm learning the business and uh, so be it and yeah. let's carry on you guys won the Memorial Cup no nope, not with me 
before oh, me, right. before me, and well, and that's right. You didn't win it. I didn't win it. No, you did. That was yeah, my team. Yeah, right. That was you. <laughs> it's it's an old joke that I'll probably use a number of times again in the future. But uh, yes. Yeah, you won. Yes, I didn't. Okay. So, uh, Memorial Cup Oil Kings was was it sixty five. 66, I think they they won. They won with yeah. Bobby Falkenberg and Al Hamilton. They had a, they had a pretty just, good team. Just for anyone listening, I had the the real pleasure of playing in the Cup twice, lost once with Saskatoon, and won it once with Kamloops in '92. So, yeah, I'll, I'll bug Rick for a long time that that I got a ring he didn't, but uh, he got a, he got a thousand dollar signing bonus from the Detroit Red Wings. I did not. I definitely most didn't. You had the chance when you went to that camp. Mr. Hockey was there, was he not? Yeah, Gordy Howe was uh, on the team. Well, they were used to take us as as underages for a hockey school every year. So that's the first time I met Gordy. Uh, we were in the old Olympia, and uh, it, in the summertime it get really foggy there, so you had to get out and skate to break up the fog. And we did that. So we were just out horsing around, and and Gordy was out, and he had the two boys, uh, Mark and Marty, out, and we were just playing around. And yeah. I. I backed into him, a sort of in front of the net, and he just put one hand under my butt and lifted me up and over to the side. <laughs> uh, he, he was the strongest guy I've ever seen, of, uh, but just a just a super guy. Well, what, a, what an experience that was. Um, back here in Edmonton, those, those days between the Oil Kings to the WHA Oilers to to present day Oilers of the NHL, you mentioned you know Bill Hunter had a had a significant play in all of that happening. Just you know, what what memories do you have, Dad, from from the old rink to the new rink, and just how that all came to be? What well, all started with uh, Bill really from the World Hockey League, and I think they were causing some uh, concern to the National Hockey League, and they they over time they thought, well, maybe we better uh, expand with these guys and talk to them. So, Bill Hunter was a driving force to that. Uh, Zane Feldman and Dr. Allard here in Edmonton were the big financial supporters, and uh, they wouldn't have got it done without them, but Bill was a driving force, and uh, Benny Haskins out of Winnipeg, and I think there's four teams: Quebec and and uh, Winnipeg, uh, New England, yeah. somewhere in, in uh, can't remember the name. Anyways, those were the ones that ended up in the merger, and okay, and uh, so the uh, they started playing in the World Hockey League in the old Edmonton Gardens. And uh, as we found in this city, uh, if you host events, that's the best way to get facilities. And so the, the uh, new at the time um, Coliseum at, out at uh, Edmonton Northlands was built because of the Commonwealth Games for 78. So it was built, uh, but by the way, then we're getting an NHL hockey team. So right. it worked very well. So hold it. The Coliseum was built because of the... Commonwealth Games. It was helped the feds as part of it. No, it helps I, I with the financing. I, I don't know if I ever knew that. I obviously Commonwealth Stadium. Um, now, just as a great little segue from that to the, the positions you've held with some significant events here in Edmonton, uh, you you were one of the vice presidents of the '78 Commonwealth Games. Uh, tell me about that experience. How did that come to be? And and some pop-out memories you have from it. Well, it was, it was really fluke how it came to be. The um, My dad, your grandfather, Jim, was always a big 
uh, one to say if we're going to do business in this city, we have to participate and give back. And so he he and and my mom belonged to various uh, uh, charity groups in the Kinsman Club and the Rotary and. Uh, so I'm not even sure how it happened, but somebody came to me and said, would you be interested in being the uh, volunteer chair of transportation for the Commonwealth Games? And that was in about 75. And so Dad and I talked about it. I thought, yeah, that's a good uh, good opportunity to give back and, and to do something like that. And so I did it. And then in, uh, it must have been around 76, um, one of the vice presidents, um, of the time Lyle Roper was uh, took ill and Maury Van Fleet the president of the Commonwealth Games organizing committee asked if I'd move up and and be uh, vice president so I was pretty young at the time but I uh, thought yeah why not yeah. Uh, so it you're what about up, 30 years old I yeah I think I was 28 yeah. or 29 yeah. uh, ended up with not only transportation but hospitality and and media and venues, so right, right. Um, it, it, it was a big job, but uh, boy, what an education. It was a great education for me and, and a great way to give back to the community. And you got to participate in some of the conversations of, of like you say, the, the, the event infrastructure being built here in Edmonton, which all stands to this day. Um, any, any memories jump out during that time? Yeah, I think uh, for the Coliseum, there, there was just not the Commonwealth Games coming. Uh, but uh, at the time, Edmonton Northland's board in particular, I think it was Ted Milden and, and Harry Hull that were big driving forces to get that building done through Edmonton Northlands. The uh, Commonwealth Stadium, the, the driving force at that time was, was Norm Kimball and Jim Hull. And uh, the... Uh, uh, the pool at, down at Kinsman Park was the Kinsman Club that was sort of driving that. So many members of the community were driving forces and getting it done. And, and because they were facilities for the Commonwealth Games, the uh, good part of it, the, the city supplied the land and the province and the federal government came up with the money for construction. A lot cheaper then. A lot cheaper oh, then. A lot cheaper. But I'm sure there were just as many, or maybe there weren't, were, do you feel there were just as many against it in whatever day that it was it was always a big investment didn't matter what year it was no exactly there, there's always those that are for things like that yeah. and particularly for upgraded infrastructure and there's always the naysayers and those are, are against it uh, during the construction of the Commonwealth Stadium Jim Holt tried to convince City Council to put the footings in to uh, that would enable to then cover it at some point oh, okay those footings were going to, at the time, were going to cost, I think, around a million dollars. And we could have had a dome for a million a bucks. No, the footings. For oh, the, the footings, dome. okay. But it would have been a lot cheaper to put in the footings for that uh, than, than the, we looked at it a number of years after that with the Eskimos, and it just was too expensive to do a roof. So 78 started your, I'll call it, uh, whether it's a love affair or not, but uh, being very close to Commonwealth Stadium. Uh, your, your next part of that journey, I believe, was uh, the 80, 84 Grey Cup. You you were a chair of the Grey Cup. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and I think you were chair of every Grey Cup up until the last one. Yeah, co- or co-chair. I, the, uh, Dwayne Venue laughs now that he's got me on the number of uh, Grey Cups committees he's been involved <laughs> with here. But, 
in uh, for the 84 first time it was ever going to be in Edmonton uh, uh, Jack McMahon who was chairman of the Eskimos then and, and Norm Kimball came to me and asked if if I'd consider chairing it in 82 and so we took it on and first time ever for a Grey Cup in Edmonton and it was a great success and um, that led me doing that led me to the Eskimo board and I was on the board for a number of years and then chair in uh, 87 88 and in 87 that's where we won our first great cup but at least i did yep and i have a great cup ring and you don't yes you i have, have a few more you have a few great cup rings what do you have three four three four three and one pacific coast league oh, okay. championship baseball. baseball right yeah i should bring that up that i i think terry jones referred to you as that you're mr teflon right up until the day you decided to sell the trappers uh, out of town. <laughs> you yeah, took, yeah, no, you he took didn't like grief. it. He didn't like it. Hugh Campbell didn't like it. Hugh loved going down there. But here's the facts. Yeah. Calgary had left the PCL. Vancouver had left the PCL. The only team left was in Edmonton. The owners in the U.S. did not like that. They did not like crossing the border. They didn't like the different money. And they kept forcing the issue, and we said no, because uh, at that time the Eskimos owned it. We bought it from the Alberta Treasury branch when the uh, Pocklington Empire went down. And uh, the, uh, the commissioner at the time, Branch Rickey, kept telling me, uh, you've got to sell, you've got to sell. And we said, we, we have no need to, and, and we enjoy it, and it's good for the city. Um, and then the following year, they gave us a, out of a schedule of 160 games, of which 80 are home games, they gave us about half the schedule. About, there was about 35 games, I think, out of the 80 uh, that they scheduled for home dates here from uh, the latter part of March till before the long weekend in May. Oh. Now, you try to run a baseball team in the city in, in uh, March, April, and even into May, it's very difficult. And drive, drive the Zamboni over from yeah, the so, Coliseum. Yeah, so we finally got the message and, and decided, you know, we can't continue to fight this. So uh, we sold to uh, uh, Round Rock Baseball out of, out of Texas, which is the Nolan Ryan family. Okay. And we sold it for, I think it was $10.5 million U.S. We paid, we paid four, $4 million Canadian. Yep. And we took those profits and we uh, redid uh, Clark Park for the uh, when we put in the turf, and we held on to the rest that created the Eskimo Stabilization Fund, and then we, we put some major money into the expansion uh, prior to 2010 uh, when the uh, recreation center was built there. Nice. So a lot of good came out of your just terrible decision to sell the <laughs> I'm kidding okay we jump way ahead in in some of you know your sports history there I'm just going to loop back for a moment so you, you had a great run early involvement with you know the Commonwealth Games the the uh, Grey Cup the board of the Eskimos this whole time you're still working in the moving business you're running Western Moving Allied Van Lines at the time uh, kind of came up to a moment where you said well we could we could give this business to my son Rob, or we could sell it all right now and run for the hills. And uh, what was your choice at, at that time? 
<laughs> well, we weren't going to give it to anybody, including you. And, oh, okay. I didn't and know if that was I, I must remind you that we did have some conversations about, did you want to come into the business at the time? And you said no. So uh, the... Uh, I was eight years old. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. No, you're a little older little than older that. A little older than that. Yeah. Anyways, we'd, uh, we had a... At that time, we were a significant shareholder of Allied Van Lines as well, and a company by the name of NFC out of the UK uh, owned Allied Van Lines around the world, except in Canada. So they were very interested in coming in here and that was their and own. came in, and um, we ended up selling. Yep. So, which, uh, as I alluded to earlier, Ted and Sean are back in the business. So there, there was an intermission break of the Lullisher family being in the in the moving biz. Yeah, we had five but, years that. Myself or Ted couldn't go back into the business, and okay. so Ted sat out the five years on five on years in a day, and, and then, then he went back at started it. Started up. Uh, good for him. He's built a. They built a great business. Yeah. The um, you were hired at that time, if if memory serves, it was around ninety two, ninety three, as the the first CEO of what was known then as the EDE Economic Development Edmonton. Um, Tell us about that, how, how that all came to be. Yeah, I had, uh, we, we'd sold the company in 90, and I had uh, an agreement to stay on for two years as the president, of which I did. And uh, then I had no idea what I was going to do. I actually started to do a little bit of looking at the potential of a, a Western Hockey League franchise in Kelowna. Uh, that was well before the Kelowna franchise was awarded. Yeah. Um, and one day I got a call from uh, Pricewaterhouse, who was doing a search for uh, Economic Development Edmonton, the new board of directors for CEO. And so I thought about it, and I thought that would be really interesting. And um, so I uh, I went forward with my application, and they did a bunch of interviews. And I was hired in uh, July of 92, and uh, I think it was July of 92. And... Uh, Started September 1st of 92, and there was me as Economic Development Edmonton. And come January 1st, 93, the whole plan was to merge the various authorities all into one. Right. And so on the January, Research Park, Shaw Conference. Edmonton well, Convention, Convention Center, Center at the, at the time. time. Yeah. The Edmonton Research Park, the uh, Edmonton Tourism, and Edmonton Economic Development all came into... Uh, Economic Development Edmonton. So um, we merged them all come January 1st, 93, and uh, then made adjustments to all the various staffs, and we became one and continued on until uh, I left there in 98, uh, thinking that six years was enough in that position. And we just finished the the whole role of keeping the Oilers in Edmonton. Right, right. Uh, that really took up all the time in the last couple of years of that. Well, right job. around that time, not only the Oilers, but the whole airport issue was was pretty hot at that time, or was that a bit yeah. earlier? No, uh, I think the airport, I can't even remember, 96 maybe was, okay. the, it was the airport issue, and yeah. at the time, uh, Iris Evans and I became co-chairs of the um, push to stop, consul- uh, consolidate the passenger flights not close the airport, consolidate the passenger flights to the Edmonton International Airport because we were getting killed in direct flights uh, from Edmonton. And I, I, I was remember this to the day, going to see Hollis Harris, who was the CEO of Air Canada in Montreal. 
and he'd been previously with, uh, I think it was American Airlines out of the U.S., and he told me that uh, with the change of aircraft coming and the regional jets, that if we didn't get this corrected, Edmonton flights would be to Calgary and to Vancouver, and then you'd have to connect. Nowhere else. And he said, yeah. until you blow up those runways, you'll always have the problem. And so we were fortunate enough to win the uh, uh, win the day of, of the majority of Edmontonians. Uh, went to vote. Went yep. in favor yep. of, of uh, consolidating. And so we got the consolidation going, and then from that point, uh, there was the push eventually to eventually close the municipal airport. But the key was, the key to me was the flights. Of if you can't get direct flights to Toronto, or Montreal, or right. Ottawa, or the U.S., man, you are a second-level city. Yeah. And how we would ever retain companies like PCL and Stantec here without those direct flights. I, 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 we saw enough with Shaw leaving eventually. Of, right. uh, that was part of it. So um, the uh, it just made a lot of sense. And now we see what the international airport is. And, and today it's not that far out there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how things get closer. 20-some um, years later, the Muni turning into Blatchford development did was any of that discussed at the time? Like it, it obviously has not hit traction point yet. Uh, just what, what are your thoughts on the redevelopment of that space? Well, there wasn't any discussion at that time. It was to keep it as a uh, sort of a business airport for uh, the charter aircraft. For there was a big uh, operation there of aircraft uh, repair, and uh, there, I think at that point in time, there's a feeling we could keep it open as a as a commercial type airport for private. Uh, use and, and business use and eventually it, I guess cost catches up with you but um, I was in no discussion whatsoever about the recommissioning of, of the airport lands to uh, now and it's I guess it's sat there for quite a few years and yeah. uh, hopefully they can get some development there because they also have the Northlands land now to deal right. with. So there's a lot of land uh, that the okay. city's involved if, with. If you own those two pieces of land today, what are you going to try and do both simultaneously, or what, what do you think the city should be doing? Well, personally, I'd sell it to a developer and let them do it. Okay. Uh, the uh, It's going to be a lot of years. Uh, maybe different, but I just see it's going to be a lot of years until all of that gets developed. Could, could be 40, 50 years. Oh, could e be. Easy. It could be. I think you got to do it in sections and let the let the developers uh, do it. So you mentioned a big uh, initiative during your time at EDE was keeping the Edmonton Oilers in town. And uh, um, yeah, I remember that. I was working at the Edmonton Sun then where they, one day they think it's sold and then it's not and you know great memory I have the the journal folks won't love this memory as much but the journal went with probably the biggest headline we'd ever seen them use that the Oilers were sold and they were wrong and and the next day our guys at the Sun editorial they literally ripped out the headline just enough so you knew it was from the journal and then is twice the size put not across the front so fun fun days in the media landscape but obviously a critical time to keep the Edmonton Oilers in in Edmonton what do you remember from that 
Oh, there was there was many starts and stops. Uh, it went on for a few years. Uh, we uh, th- there was some incredible stories to it. The the first part we thought when we had original deal, we thought that we could work a deal where we could get additional revenue through pay uh, per view. And okay. uh, I'm glad we didn't at that time because it it didn't go over so big into the future, but. Um, there was there was starts and stops, and we had Bettman here a number of times, and meeting with city council, and um, so we were fortunate that that there was a fair amount of, of driving forces. And uh, uh, John Ramsey was the chairman of, of EDE then, and myself and and some of the Northlands people were trying to do what's best for the community, and it was to keep the Oilers here. There's no question, and. Uh, at the end of the day, the uh, the group of uh, community leaders came together and uh, put money in, a large group of them. We, we even got a million dollars from Linda Hughes at the Edmonton Journal. Yes. Maybe she felt bad about the headline. <laughs> I don't know, but they were <laughs> so, investors. Sorry we got it wrong. Yeah. Here's a million yeah. bucks. So yeah. they, a uh, uh, number of investors, and, and uh, uh, during the negotiations, we ended up with uh, the new owners. Uh, I guess at the time that... The first time, Pocklington was keeping it and staying here, and we ended up getting a special share in the Edmonton Oilers that was held by Economic Development Edmonton, and we only had one vote, and that vote was to uh, 100% of the shares to if you could move the team or not. So that was the sort of the catalyst of that, okay. keeping, it, keeping it here, and, and then it was after that that the local... Uh, community leaders came together and eventually How many bought it were from there, the, I think there was about 35, 36, and yeah. they, they ended up buying it from the Alberta Treasury Branch. Okay. By that point, had taken it from Pocklington along with the Trappers, and that's when we bought the Trappers as the Eskimos. Right, right. Now, you weren't involved with, well, you were on the board then, or involved with the Eskimos that No, way. I wasn't. I, oh, I okay. was actually, uh, after, after the Euler deal, I was... Uh, I was actually just doing a little bit of consulting for, uh, at the time, Jim Hole, Bruce Evel, and, and Denny Andrews, looking at the possibility of buying the Trappers. Okay. And once I looked at it for a time, I, uh, I thought, I went to them and said, you know, the, you could do this as community leaders, and uh, here's how it would work, but it seems to me this would be a great fit for the Eskimos, and uh, uh, we could maybe do some cross-marketing. I wasn't with the Eskimos then. I, the, cross-marketing, some uh, back-end savings of administration, and so we went to Hugh Campbell, and and uh, at the time er- Ernie uh, Stevens was a chair, and we all got together and laid it out, and everybody thought it was a good idea, so okay, we went to the ball team. we went to the Treasury branch and did the deal. Geez, they were just selling teams left, right, and center <laughs> back back in the day. Um, as your time was winding up with Economic Development Edmonton, the, the Euler deal had just been done. Um, there, there was this moment in time where you were potentially going to be more involved with, with the Oilers, but then the World Championships came along. What, what do you remember from that time? Yeah, we were actually, uh, when I was still at EDE, we, we were involved as EDE in the potential bid of the World Championships in athletics. And, uh, 97, we looked at it, and uh, Jack Agrius and uh, uh, a few guys, uh, Bob 
Stedward yeah. uh, were the two leaders of, of getting that done. And, and so uh, in, in 98, uh, I was gone from ED then. Uh, and uh, we uh, went to the bid and, and uh, we won it. We were fortunate enough to win it. And then the bid committee asked me to take over as the CEO of the organizing committee. So that started in January 1st of 99. That was a great event for the city that uh, I, I remember. So the summer of 2001, that all of what, 30 days later, 9-11 happened. And you, you think how it wouldn't have happened. Absolutely. And, it, um, there's so many things could have happened with that. And uh, we were very fortunate of uh, being able to bring the world to Edmonton for track and field. Uh, it was the first time um, that track and field uh, world championships have been held in North America. That, that's still the case. I think actually the next one coming up is going to be in Oregon for the first time uh, since 01. So uh, I think it was a real feather in the cap of the city. Uh, the volunteer base was incredible. Uh, we, we ended up with about 10,000 volunteers uh, that uh, just didn't outstanding job and it was very successful and we actually run it at a budget less than our budget and ended up having some money left over to create some uh, funds for the community nice and, and again like a lot of legacy from the different tracks around town that they were able to in, invest in the uh, um, right on the heels of that you you went back to uh, back to football in, in another great cup the o2 great cup was coming to Edmonton I know you were you're chair of that and that kind of uh, introduced your your segue into working for for the Eskimos with with Hugh Campbell and uh, what nice little 10 year chapter there about well what happened after the after the world championships were over we we wound it up on December 31st of one and so then uh, Joan and I went to Australia we, we didn't have a job neither one of us so we thought why not travel let's, for a bit so surf. so we did yeah we didn't surf but we went to <laughs> Australia New Zealand and uh, came back and and uh, it was I think April or May and I was in having coffee with Hugh and and they were having the Grey Cup in 02 and he said, we got a few challenges. Uh, would you consider coming in and, and uh, overseeing the Grey Cup uh, committee for O2? And so I did. And um, we uh, then had the Grey Cup in November of uh, 2002. And then in December, Hugh and his way said, well, you're here. You've got an office. I'm going to retire soon. Why don't you stay? So I stayed. Okay. <laughs> And uh, what three three Grey Cups later o over that time? three Grey Cup rings two just yep. two two oh two right Grey Cup was winners with yeah third yep. was in eighty seven okay. we won it in 03 and 05. Yep. and uh, we held the uh, two thousand and two and the two thousand and ten Grey Cups and over that time so uh, it was uh, very successful so on the field and off the field. Great, uh, great memory line I have of Hugh Campbell. Uh, obviously, he was not a fan of the celebration in the in the end zone after a touchdown. And I think you guys had brought someone in. It was their first game, got a touchdown, did quite the dance. And after the game, Hugh went up to him and said, "Look, next time, next time you you get in the end zone, why don't you act like you've been there before?" Exactly. That was his line to all of them. That I'd, uh, 
hot dog in the end zone always hey, we're, we're coming back to that moment because that has changed over over the years oh yeah so yeah you, you had a nice really nice chapter at the eskimos you know community organization you left a lot of great legacy things there from from the great cup the eskimos obviously uh you know 30 40 thousand fans get to sit in one of your your best legacies and that's awesome new seating for for the stadium you you drove that before leaving and, and you, the top deck the color did look different on the on the architect's <laughs> drawings everybody says it's saskatchewan green but it really did look different. We uh, thought it was northern Saskatchewan yeah. green oh. when, when we uh, <laughs> when we selected that. I think it looks really cool. I, I like it. The um, you go into retirement. You're enjoying retirement, and uh, what was that? Five years? Of, of six. Six years of being retired. And folks, he he uh, Christmas dinner. He he calls the family together we're we're bracing ourselves for we're gonna get some bad health news or, or something and uh you announced to the family that you were coming out of retirement which we were all shocked and uh like you know this is six years later you retired and then you i don't know if triple shock is worthy of uh of the statement but uh, you then told us you were going to be ceo of the bc lions and uh, then we thought we were being punked at that moment, and you were you were filming this. How did that opportunity come to be? Well, first of all, I retired from the Eskimos due to some health things that I got over. But I was sort of in the six years I was more semi-retired, and that I was fortunate enough to do some board work with Travel Alberta and then Horse Racing Alberta. So it kept me a little bit active, but. Um, it it was really weird how it came up. Uh, one day Wally Bono called me and uh, to talk about the hiring of Ed Hervey. And Ed had worked for me at the Eskimos. He'd been a player, and then we hired him as a scout. And then that was my sort of my last role as an advisor. Sat on the uh, recruitment committee to hire a new general manager, and and that's when we hired Ed as a general manager. So I I knew Ed well, and um, so. We're, Wally and I were talking about it, and uh, this is in, it was after the Grey Cup in uh, 2017, so either latter November, early December, and uh, I said, uh, Wally, that it doesn't surprise me. The uh, I During the season, I told Joan, I think, I think what's going to happen in BC is Wally will step down as coach, he'll become the president, He'll hire Ed as the general manager, and they'll hire a new coach. And Wally said, I'm not a president, I'm a football guy. And and he said, you should come out here. I said, why would I come out there? He says, because we need a president. We haven't had one for two years. And uh, I said, oh, well, you never asked me before. Just joking around, <laughs> really. And and he said, then he said, would you consider it? And I said, I don't know. Well, Maybe Joan and I'll talk about it. And, um, so we talked about it, and I think deep down, when I retired from the Eskimos because of the health scare, I retired too quick right. and made the decision too quick and, and got over my health problems and would have maybe been there for another uh, two or three or four or five years, I'm not sure. But we'd always missed the uh, football and the CFL people. and um, So talking about it, we thought, yeah, well, let's treat it as an adventure. I don't know of uh, what it would be like. So um, 
so I called Wally back and said, you know, we've talked about it. We might consider it. I don't know. And so the next day, uh, David Braley called me, the owner of the club, and said, Wally tells me you might consider coming out. And I said, well, uh, yeah, we'd consider it as an adventure. And uh, I knew David very well from the CFL Board of yep. Governors. I knew Wally very well. I knew Ed very well. And, and uh, I just thought it was a great fit. And we thought it's close to Edmonton. It's only an hour plane trip away. Uh, we can get back and see the grandkids. and. Maybe you guys too, but okay. the Maybe grandkids are the most important. And, <laughs> and uh, um, I'm just about the go. dogs at home and the current yeah. family ranking. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, so um, so we did it, and I, it actually came together within a week. And uh, I think it was the Friday before we had Christmas dinner on the Saturday that uh, we came to the final <laughs> so uh, there you agreement. Go. And we told you guys, and you should have seen the look on your faces. It yeah, was it was incredible. a beauty. Right next to the look on our faces at the 2018 Grey Cup here in Edmonton when, when you dressed us all in orange for the Spirit of Edmonton uh, uh, breakfast. Perfect. Yeah, orange is an in thing, you know. Orange is an in color. <laughs> I could joked earlier, we, we've kind of we've disowned you from the family for a period. Well, good thing you've got some, some significant Edmonton stripes on, on your sleeve because uh, we'll, we'll let this one go. We're heading into the third season. It's the third year where, where I've asked you, can can I be quarterback of the team? And I'd tell you, no. Okay, okay. So yeah. we're on three years straight of no, we're up. So don't don't give me this nepotism, folks. That uh, Rick Rick will hire me for no reason at all. Um, the CFL in general won't talk about the team specifically, but um, you know there's some challenges in in you know major sports and and getting the fans out and. Maybe, maybe just share some thoughts of, of what you see the CFL's future looking like. Yeah, and there are some challenges. And it's it's not just the Lions. It's not just the CFL. It's professional sport. Of, uh, there's so many other things to do now. The, uh, the younger crowd uh, are really geared to their phones. And uh, it's a different market now. And, and we have to do things to attract that market. And I think Randy Ambrosi as the commissioner is – taking a very active uh, lead in, in, in CFL 2.0. And, and 2.0 is not just getting an agreement with various countries uh, that play football, good iron football around the world. It's expanding our um, marketing ability to particularly the younger crowds. And um, to me, we have to attract the crowds as an event, not, not as just a football game. It's an event. And... Uh, uh, I tell people that the uh, ticket to uh, a game as an event is like we used to pay a cover charge to a club, and it, we need the social areas, and, and we've had a challenge with that at BC Place. It's a great stadium, but it doesn't have the sort of that social area, so we're doing some things there um, where the younger crowd can get a $25, $30 ticket, come in with their friends, have a beer, be on their phone, talk, look up, maybe a play or two, go back right. to their phones, yeah. go back to their friends. Passive watching, yeah. 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 And, and treat it as an event, and it's a fun time. And yeah. I've told our game day people, like, think outside the box. It's all about the entertainment value of not just the, on the field. It's from the time they walk into that stadium till the time they leave that it, the game day has to be an incredible venture for people in order to bring them back. That's awesome. The um, you, you've touched 
so much in in Edmonton in in your life, Dad. From uh, and most definitely on the sporting front, um, you you've been at the table when they talked about what's this going to look like, what's that going to look like. Do you have some thoughts when when you look ahead for the next 10, 20 years of, of what Edmonton's future holds? Uh, what would you like to see start happening today or, or to, to realize that down the road? Yeah, and I'm not sure of the of whatever thing, but one of the things I've noticed between Edmonton and Vancouver is the, the number of people in Vancouver that live downtown. Um, the, I think Edmonton has some incredible infrastructure downtown now with the, the uh, new rink and some of the new buildings. Uh, but we've got to get more people living downtown. That's what creates the vibe. And, you know, we've always known West Edmonton Mall being out a ways has, has had a, a somewhat of a negative effect on downtown Edmonton. Uh, but you have to get people living downtown to create the excitement and the, the uh, around it. And I think that's the biggest thing is just getting more and more uh, people to get into this downtown core and live here. So they don't only live and work here, they play and get spend their disposable income in the yeah. downtown area. Yeah. So uh, a day will come where you'll take that orange jersey off and we'll get you to move back to, not to see me, apparently, but to no, see the, the grandkids. grandkids. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm loving that you're loving what you're doing, and I want you to keep doing that, but I won't lie and say I, I do look forward to that day when, when we do get to spend more time together, but uh, thanks to a travel schedule, we yeah. do get to Are you going to move to Vancouver? You. We are not no. moving to <laughs> Vancouver. No, I'm but, sure. Uh, I don't know. We haven't thought of uh, as long as our health is good we're enjoying it uh we we enjoy living in white rock and and uh the lions facilities in surrey so it's not a it's not a massive drive we don't i don't have to cross a bridge which is good that's good and uh the uh, i'm sure at some point we'll be back but uh, uh we've enjoyed our time there and and uh but we've also enjoyed many great days many great years in edmonton and I'm sure at some point we'll be back. I'm just not sure when. The uh, what's the airport code in Vancouver? YYC. YVR. YVR. That's right. So he doesn't have near the YYC ring. is Calgary. Oh right, right. So YVR me. It's it's not as good as the Yeg Me podcast like we've got here. And Dad, I I'm uh, you know we got to talk about all kinds of things and and I'm I got a hundred more questions, but we gotta <laughs> pack it up. But uh, soup. I'm just beyond proud of everything you've done in your life and, and what you've done for our city. And uh, I, I'm, I love you, and I, I, I'm glad you could join me to, to just share some stories, uh, some memories of, of all, the, all the great things that you did here in Edmonton. Well, it's, it's been fun, first of all, for something that I get no pay for. The uh, or there, do I do I get paid? I, I may no, have offered to pay for parking, but oh. that's since been oh. uh, rescinded. Yeah, so I've I've enjoyed it, and I, I'm really proud of you guys and our family uh, of what you've done here and and what uh, Ted and Sean and Carol have done with Western Moving. Still a big part of Edmonton, and um, Joan and I are still a part, a big part of Edmonton. We of course follow it all the time. And uh, the, the we've had some incredible times in the city, and we look for some more coming forward. Awesome. 
Well, folks, this was my dad, Rick Lullisher, uh, on the Yegme podcast. I'm Rob Lullisher. Thanks for, for spending some time uh, listening to today's podcast. Have a great day. Bye now. Bye now. Thanks again for joining us, folks. I'm Rob Lullisher, and this has been the Yegme podcast. Be sure to visit our website, www.yeg.me, for more information on the show and some of our past podcasts. Also some fun Yeg swag you can check out. All kinds of good stuff on the yeg.me website. And we look forward to seeing you in future episodes.